right, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you. Okay, well, Pastor Josh is not here today. We have a guest preacher uh, from Redemption Alhambra, which is where me and my wife come. Juan Chavez, would you welcome him to Redemption North Mountain? You want to come up here, dude? So a couple years ago, I went to a church planning conference uh, in Chicago, and this is where I met Juan. And I just felt a lot of testosterone and a lot of Jedi powers. And I was like, I got to go talk to this guy. I got to glean off of this guy. And it was one of the most blessed conversations I had at the entire conference. That includes sermons that I heard, uh, the small groups that you kind of go to, to kind of those breakout sessions, all of that. One of the most blessed times I had talking or engaging was talking and meeting with Juan. He does this uh, ministry, which I'm sure he's going to tell you about, called AZ Reach, where he uh, engages these uh, teenage boys and teenage girls in local high schools. I don't want to get too much. I'll let you you do all that. But if you didn't, just a fun fact. I grew up in Maryville, which is on the west side of Phoenix. My boy Juan grew up in uh, South Phoenix. So apart from Jesus, yeah, apart from Jesus, we might have a whole different story and engagement here. But by the grace of God, we're, we're family and yeah. brothers, and yeah. so I'm so glad Thank you're you, here to, to bless us Thank today. Thank you, brother. So I appreciate it. No Thank further you. ado. Thank you, man. I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, there's, uh, I was telling Anthony, uh, you know, it's interesting because those who Christ saves and he brings us together, you know, the we didn't, we didn't know each other before Christ, so we didn't have any, any beef with each other. But I know of, like, you know, gang members who were rival gang members and have come to know Christ and have come to the same church, and now they've befriended each other. And there's something beautiful that God does in, in, in bringing us together in, in one body. Uh, I'm grateful to be here and uh, grateful to stand before you and grateful to Pastor Josh for inviting me and, and uh, entrusting me with uh, sharing the word with the church this morning. And Anthony, thank you, brother. You know, uh, before my wife and I landed at Alhambra, we were at uh, Redemption Peoria for four years, and we had visited Alhambra a handful of times, and every time we'd walk in, we'd see Anthony at the door with a huge smile on his face, greeting, encouraging, remembering us, you know, and, uh, and to know that he's here with you is a blessing, and I'm sure he's a, he's a gift to this church as he was to uh, Redemption Alhambra. Uh, so 
Uh, let's pray this morning before we, we uh, go into the Word of God. Father, we ask for your glory here this morning. God, thank you that we get to gather together. Thank you that you have redeemed us, uh, that you love us, and that you are with us. God, thank you that we can come to you in prayer as Jesus came to you in prayer, uh, that, that we have access to, to prayer before you, Father. We're grateful for that and, and just ask that you would meet us here. Holy Spirit, I ask that, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of your truth, uh, that you would point us to your glory, and that we would stand in awe of worship of you, and that that would trickle out outside of these doors, that it wouldn't just be kept here at Redemption North Mountain in this building, but everywhere we go, uh, we would glorify you, that the world would see us and be curious, <laughs> and, and that would lead them to you, Jesus. Uh, so would you bless this time for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so last week you heard from Pastor uh, Sandy Mason as he preached on uh, Jesus's prayer for the disciples in John 17, 6 through 19. The week before that, you heard from your pastor, Pastor Josh Watt, in uh, 17, 1 through 5, as he preached on Jesus's prayer for glory. And that's what we're going to continue to look at this morning as we're looking at John 17 and, and particularly this, this part where Jesus is praying to the Father. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, you know, keep that open. We're going to be referencing a lot of different scriptures throughout this sermon, uh, and, and we'll take it verse by verse, just like is done every week. And today, as, as we heard, we're reading 20 through 26 of, of John 17. And just to remind us of uh, some context of Jesus's prayer in, 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 this, in this moment, you know, prior to this, Jesus was saying a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of hard things that he was communicating to his disciples. If, if we look at John 16, verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples, you will leave me alone. I mean, that by itself is hard to hear. You know, if you're walking with Jesus and you're committing years of your life to him, you left everything you had to follow Christ, and now Jesus is looking at you in the eye and saying, you will leave me alone. And he says, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering, Jesus promises that to his disciples and to you and I. We will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world, Jesus says. But these are hard statements. These are hard truths that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And then right after that, John 17 opens up with saying, Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays to his father. He looks up and prays. And this is such a beautiful picture of Jesus praying. If we pause and, and try to imagine that image of Jesus saying these things and then looking up and praying, there's something beautiful about that. And, and the reality is, y'all, that Jesus prayed often. This isn't a one-off, but, but often throughout the life of Jesus, he would break away and pray to his father. If, if we look at Mark 1.35, you don't have to turn there. I think it might be on the screen. If not, I'll, I'm going to read it out loud for us anyways. It says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, 
Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5.16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. And, and there's so many verses throughout the Bible of pointing to these moments when Jesus would break away from the busyness of his ministry to pray, to be alone, to be in quiet with his Father. And this is an invitation for us as we, as we go about life, as we go about the busyness of our culture, the busyness of work, the busyness of parenting, whatever it is, it's an encouragement that, that we too need to break away often and, and pursue solitude and pursue quietness to pray to the Father, to be with the Father. If Jesus Christ himself had to do this, what makes us think that, that we don't? We're fooling ourselves if, if we think we've got what it takes. I'm going to just muster up enough strength. I'm going to just keep grinding. I'm going to keep pushing. You know, I'll sleep when I die type of mentality. Nah, we need a break away and rest and be with Jesus and pray and seek him and spend time with the Father in solitude in the same way that, that Christ did. Uh, a, 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 a quote on prayer from Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. And, and this quote that, that we're about to read together, man, it's just, it's, it, it's a perfect depiction of the life of Jesus. It says, if we love people and have the power to help, then we are going to be busy. Learning to pray doesn't offer a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. In the midst of outer busyness, we can develop an inner quiet. Because we are less hectic on the inside, we have a greater capacity to love and thus to be busy, which in turn drives us even more into a life of prayer. By spending time with our Father in prayer, we integrate our lives with His. With what He is doing in us, our lives become more coherent. They feel calmer, more ordered, even in the midst of confusion and pressure. And that, that embodied the life of Christ. I mean, that, that was Jesus having that, that calm way about him, that cool, calm, and collected way about him because he often withdrew to spend time with the Father. So an invitation to prayer is what we see uh, in all of John 17. Now let's take a look at today's verses, starting in verse 20, and we'll, we'll uh, go through verse by verse through 26. John 17, 20 says, I do not, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. When we see that first portion, when Jesus says, I do not ask, we'll pause there and, and be reminded over the last couple of weeks of what Jesus was asking for. Jesus was asking for his glory, as Pastor Josh Watt shared a couple of weeks ago. And, and when it comes to you and I, Jesus was asking in verse 15 of, of chapter 17, he was asking for protection from the evil one, for, for protection from Satan as he is attacking us. And Jesus was asking that, that we would be sanctified in the truth in verse 17. So it says that, that Jesus, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. Now he's, he's, he's talking about, I'm not just asking for my disciples, for this group of men and women who are in front of me, I'm not just asking for them, but he says, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm asking for those who will believe in me. This is Jesus 
praying for future believers. This is Jesus praying for you and I. This is Jesus praying for us today to know that that Jesus' ministry took place over 2,000 years ago. And here we are today in this place being reminded of his truth, of his glory, of his goodness. Christ was praying for us. And, and, and listen, maybe you're here this morning and you are not yet a believer, but Christ is tugging on your heart. Christ is, is, is knocking on the door of your heart, trying to get your attention, drawing you to himself. You will come to him and Christ is praying for you. In this time, Christ is praying for all future believers. And that is just so encouraging to know that Jesus was praying for us at this time. He says, he says I'm praying for them that I'm praying for those also who will believe in me, he says, through their word through their words. So, so all of like 20 through 26, we're going to be hearing a lot about unity, a lot about union, a lot about oneness. But Christ doesn't say that they would believe through their oneness at this part. He doesn't say that they would believe through their unity. Jesus says he, that they would believe through their word. And when I read this, I got convicted. I'm like, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us that, that, that others would believe through our word? These words that the disciples were sharing that they, even after Christ's death, that they continued on and they went about town after town sharing these words of Christ, these truths. And again, here we are believing in these things. There's power in that. There's power in the word, the, the audible proclamation of the truths of God. This is how I came to faith. I was a knucklehead, 19 Somehow working at the city of Phoenix, Parks and Rec, I have no idea how I landed that job because I was not a, a role model of any kind. I was, I was just not in a good sense. And my coworker would tell me every day, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Yeah, I, I know. I know he loves me. No, no, listen, Jesus loves you. And she would talk to me about Jesus. She was audibly sharing about Jesus, and it was doing something in me. Whether I admitted it or not, it was doing something. There were seeds being planted until finally she invited me to church. I heard the gospel, boom, that was it, game over. Christ saved me. How many of you can, can relate to you coming to faith through someone else's word, through someone else sharing? There's power in, in that word, in, in, in us proclaiming these things. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Chandler opened up this morning with a call to worship in Colossians 3, and that was just, that was just confirmation. I'm in the back, you know, writing some last-minute notes down that God was giving me, and Colossians 3 was something I had as I was preparing for the sermon, and then, and then I didn't include it. And then here we are with hearing it with the call to worship. Let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is what we opened up with. I ain't going to stop God from <laughs> doing what he wants to do, from sharing what he wants to share. That word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And then that coming out audibly. But we see through the rest of these verses that it's more than just the word. 
It's more than just audible proclamation of, of the truths of God. Even though that's important, let's look at verse 21. Jesus says, and he's praying that, that they, that us, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' prayer for us is for oneness. The Father is in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. They are one, and he is praying for us that in the same way we would be one, so that, the verse says, the world may believe you sent me. I pray that they would be one so that other, everyone else would know. They would look on that oneness and know. They would look on those people who were enemies before and know. They would look on those people who had no love before and now they're one in me and they would know. And, and Christ doubles down on this. It's, it's repetitive in the next couple of verses. He doesn't just stop there in verse 21, but he continues even deeper praying for, for this reality for the church. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. <clears throat> so we see here that it, it, it's more than just speaking the word of God, but the world will believe in Christ when they witness our union with God and with one another. When they witness the church functioning perfectly, that was Christ's prayer, perfectly as one. And this oneness that Jesus is praying for is not uncommon in the Bible. Jesus spoke of oneness Prior to this moment, if we go back and look at John 10, 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The next chapter over in, in John eleven fifty one and 52, Jesus uh, those verses say Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.1-6 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And finally, Philippians 1.27, 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This union, this oneness, is what we are created for, specifically union with God. Before we even talk about union with each other and oneness with each other, we have to understand our union with God, our oneness that we are created for. We, 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 see, we see how Adam was, was in union with God. It was like this perfect relationship walked. God walked with him. They spoke. They communicated to one another. It was supposed to be that way. And we know sin wrecked that. We know sin destroyed that perfect relationship that God set up, and, and we feel the effects of that to this day, so much so that, that you and I, too, were once enemies of God. That relationship that we were supposed to have, it was broken, and we became rebels. We rebelled against God. Each of us have gone our own way. Each of us have decided our own way. I got this. I know what I'm doing. Foolish in our, in our thinking, foolish in our actions. Enemies of God, but reconciled to God through the death of his son, is what Romans tell us. Or Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that darkness that we loved living in, that we were proud to live in. God, in his love for you and I, rescued us and delivered us from that domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. <laughs> How glorious is that? Man, that's good news. And it is important, y'all, that we remind ourselves of this union with God, that we remind ourselves that that, that that wall of hostility has been broken down and we are one in Christ, that Christ accomplished on the cross and in his death and burial and resurrection, that he has drawn us to himself and we are forgiven and redeemed and made new. And we are adopted as sons and daughters to our Father, and it's something to celebrate often and remind ourselves often. It's important because we forget. We come to church. Maybe we're in a season of forgetting. We, you know, it's mundane. It's repetitive. Cool, I'm going to worship, hear the word, say hi, shake some hands, go eat, go watch football, whatever. Come back. And we forget every day we should be reminding ourselves meditating on this glorious union we have with God the Father through Christ the Son. Those moments of pausing, those moments of waiting, those moments of turning off distractions and praying and meditating on it is so important. I've been messing with this app <clears throat> called Pause. It's just called Pause, and, you know, it's like white background with two black lines. It's a free app, and... It's one-minute meditations a day, twice a day, at 10 and at 2 o'clock. Pops up, one minute, you hit it, 
You sit in solitude, kind of walks you through some scripture meditation. And then when you graduate from that one minute to three minutes, then it starts talking about union, our union with God and reminding ourselves of that union we have with Christ. And it's just an encouragement to, to me, to my wife, and encourage you. Look for those things throughout your day where you can pause and remind yourselves of this beautiful union that you have with the Father. And, and from that union, and only from that union, we are called by God to live into this prayer that Jesus is praying. Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. From th that union we have with the Father, now we are called to live out oneness with one another. That's easy, right? Um, Aaron Daly, he's pastor at Alhambra. When, so every week, you know, pastors get together and kind of talk about the text and throw ideas around and here's where I'm going with it and kind of get on the same page. So, so Aaron just made this comment. He said, when the church strives to live in unity, it is the strongest evangelistic tool we have. And I thought that was just so true. When we strive to live in unity, it's a strong tool that the world sees and is drawn to. We are one church and one body, and I think, I think redemption represents that well. There's, you know, 10 congregations, and we're all redemption, but you go to these different congregations, and it's, it's all different. The context is different. The culture is different. The people are different. The way we worship is different. Our style, some of our preferences, and I think that's a good example of the church overall because Redemption isn't the banner that we sit under. Christ is the banner that we sit under. And it's the same for every other church in Christ. Every other church in Jesus, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our city, in our world. Different. But, but they are one, we are one in Christ. That's why, that's why sometimes you could walk up to a stranger. I don't know if you've ever had these moments when you've walked up and interacted with someone you've never met before, but your spirit recognizes their spirit. You, you guys ever felt that before? And it's like, I think, I think he's a Christian. I tell my wife all the time, hey, babe, I, I bet he's a Christian. I bet, bet she's a Christian. Then come to find out they are. But that's, there's a oneness that, that we have with each other. The, the reality is, though, because sin fractured that relationship, that perfect relationship we have with God, sin has also fractured that oneness that we're supposed to experience with one another. The, the union between us, um, sin broke that. And, and the reality is that, that living in union is not easy. It's extremely extremely difficult. I think this is why we avoid small groups, consistent small gatherings with each other, because we know at some point when we rub shoulders close enough, you're going to get on my nerves, and I'm going to get on your nerves, and you're going to say something I don't like. I'm going to say something you don't like, and we're going to have to deal with that, and I'd rather not deal with that, so I'd rather not get involved. That's why it's easy to come you know, sit, sit somewhere and then dip out right after church. Just beeline to the door because when we get involved in people's lives, it's hard and it's messy. 
and it's ugly. I think that's why, like, family gatherings are so awkward sometimes. <laughs> Holiday dinners and stuff. It's because we grew up with those, with each other, and, and it's messy, and it's ugly, and, it, and it's no different within the church. And the reality is, Satan is at work. The enemy is at work to cause fraction and to cause division and to speak lies and to whisper lies because he is satisfied when we are divided. Christ is praying for oneness. Jesus' desire is for oneness. Of course, Satan is going to be after that. Jesus prayed that a lot in John 17. Of course, Satan is going to be attacking that oneness and trying to cause division and and, and we see him winning at times. But we don't give up. We don't just throw in the towel. We strive. We strive for union. You know, I, I hope you're not hearing me saying, like, God is calling us to be best friends with every believer. That's just impossible. Or God is calling us to forget about hurts and forget about betrayal or forget about pain or ignore it or sweep it under the rug. That's, that's not the way of Jesus. But God is not calling us to create enemies of our brothers and sisters who he has redeemed and who he has adopted in the same way he's adopted us and redeemed our lives and, and forgiven us. He's forgiven others. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we see those others as enemies. And I'm guilty of that, y'all. Like, I've experienced brokenness within the church. To this day, I'm hurt by things. And have gone to God and said, Lord, I forgive. And then a week later, you know, but. And it's a constant pursuit of forgiveness and doing all that we can to reconcile, doing all that we can to extend forgiveness, doing all that we can to meet at the table and share our hurts, but go into it with with a heart of reconciliation, not go into it trying to point fingers and, and prove that we're right, but go into it hoping that at the end of this time we would be reconciled to one another because that glorifies God, that glorifies Jesus, and that answers his prayer for us, for oneness. This is why Scripture tells us to do everything that we can to live at peace with everyone. Do everything in our power, do everything we can to, to live at peace. That's what Romans 12, 18 calls us to do. But we need the Spirit, y'all. We need the Spirit of God. We need the power of God to, to, to see this lived out well. You know, where there is a body of believers living in unity, living in oneness, living in union, it's only because the Spirit is at work there. We don't have it in ourselves. It's a work of God through us. To, to live out union and to live out peace and to live out oneness. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, she's, you know, a famous author. 
she's a hip hop artist, and she has this album called The Crescendo. And one of her songs on the album is called Thy Neighbor. And at the beginning and throughout this song, there's like snippets of a pastor, you know, sharing about this oneness that, that we're reading about. And throughout the song, he says this. He says, the church is held together by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is why I can't be a true Christian and say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Because if I'm saved, the Holy Spirit is in me, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and the Holy Spirit in you is not going to tell you to not have anything to do with the Holy Spirit in me. If the Holy Spirit is in us, he will cause us to have love for one another. The Jesus in me will love the Jesus in you. <laughs> Encouraging words, right? I hear that, and I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> Until my flesh doesn't want to love the Jesus in you. Until everything in me is trying to justify why I shouldn't love the Jesus in you. And I often have to remind myself of people that are hard for me to love. And maybe I'm hard for them to love. I've got to remind myself man, one day I'm going to be in glory with this individual. <laughs> I'm going to be in glory with this people. And we are going to be worshiping one God together. God, fix my heart. Change my heart on this side of eternity. That I would see you in them. That I would love, I would love them. <laughs> Praying for them. That helps me. But the striving for unity, the striving for oneness is what glorifies God. And as we, as we continue to, to look through, you know, what that looks like, we, re, we read earlier Ephesians 4 and Philippians, and we're going we're gonna to dive a little deeper in that to, to look at how this is, is lived out. So Ephesians 4 that we read earlier, uh, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then, and then he points us to how we are called to, to live in humility, in gentleness, with patience. I mean, this is the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 talks about. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And if we think about those moments when we are at war with each other, these, these are not what's being lived out. It's not humility. It's pride. It's not gentleness. It's toughness. It's not patience. The bearing with one another that the, the one another's scripture calls us to live out becomes hardest to live out when we're in tension with each other. Bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, serve one another, love one another. It's hard when, when we're sitting in that tension. But God creating us a spirit that is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Philippians uh, 1.27 that we read earlier says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, one person says, when, when speaking on Philippians 2, he says, This is a Philippians 2 way of living, having the same mind as Jesus. Humble, servant-hearted, not grasping at status and power and privilege and admiration, things humans love so dearly. And this too is something our flesh hates because it is fiercely proud, loves to be served by others, counts itself more significant than others, and grasps so tightly to all those things that Jesus refused to grasp for the love of his father and the love of rebels he'd redeem. When we're living in these ways, oneness is accomplished a lot easier. And again, pointing us back to this truth that we need the Spirit's help to live this stuff out, to live out Jesus's prayer for oneness. As we move on and, and prepare to come to an end of, of our time of, of reading the Word, let's look at verse 24. Look at those last three verses, 24, 25, and 26. Jesus in verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also, speaking of us, whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' desire, his desire is that we would be with him dwelling in glory. What a sweet prayer for us. What a sweet desire that our Savior has for you and I, asking his Father that we would be with him where he is in his glory, that we would see his glory. I mean, we, we have moments where we taste bits of it. It's like a, a foretaste of his glory on this side of eternity, moments when we feel the glory of God. We experience his glory. We, we cry. We worship. It's sweet. It's heavy. But that's just a glimpse of what we will experience in eternity. It's just a foretaste. We are, we are living in the already but not yet. We're getting, a, we're getting glimpses of it now, but one day we will experience this, this prayer that Jesus has will be answered. It's no question. It's not maybe it'll happen. No, we, if we are in Christ, we will experience the fullness of his glory. And, and I cannot wait to be in that. I cannot wait to no longer experience the brokenness of this world. I cannot wait to no longer experience death and sickness and miscarriages. I mean, to, to be in, in perfect life the way God designed it to be from the beginning, where there are no more tears and no death and no sickness, but joy and God's glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you prayed for this, and thank you, Jesus, that you've accomplished this and that we anticipate being in your glory. And, and part B of that verse, he says, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And, and this just implies that, that the love and interpersonal interaction among the Trinity, that that existed 
for all of eternity. It did not start at any one point. It's just always been. Verse 25, Jesus says, O righteous Father, the righteousness of God, the the righteousness and justice of God that Jesus is reminding us of. And this is coming on the heels of him being wrongfully accused of, of being betrayed by his own disciples, of his innocence and his death approaching. And he's reminding himself and reminding us that God is righteous and just, that God has his hand over this. He's a good father. And and finally, in verse 26, Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This uh, takes, takes us back to John 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love he says. And when we think about oneness, we're reminded that it's rooted, rooted in love. It's rooted in the love of God. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And my prayer for us is not that any of you would walk away feeling burdened by the need to live in oneness. I pray that it's not this burden that you feel like you have to lift and strive to live in, but I pray that we would be reminded first of the union that we have in God the Father through Christ and live in that union, remind ourselves of that oneness, and from there, by the work of the Spirit, be able to experience oneness with each other by the way we love each other, by the way we serve each other, by the way we pray for each other, by the way we carry one another's burdens. But again, it is only by the work of the Spirit. Let's stand together uh, this morning. And as we prepare to, to close and go into communion and go into prayer and our response, <clears throat> because this kind of living is only accomplished by the work of the Spirit, I want to pray over us. Hebrews 13 20 and and 21, and pray that this would be true for us as a church. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God, I pray that this would be true, that as we are reminded of your work in us, Father, would you equip us 
with everything good. That we would do your will. God, would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Father, would you make this true? Your, your prayer for oneness, I pray that, that we would live into that, that, that you would look down on your church, on your bride, who you have redeemed and purchased by your blood. God, that you would be satisfied and pleased in the way we are living in oneness. And, and where we are not, Holy Spirit, would you convict us of that? Would you draw us as, as you said, Jesus, when we come to the altar and give sacrifices and we're reminded of an issue we have with a brother or a sister, go to them and reconcile and then come back and offer sacrifices to you. Would, would you remind us of that, Holy Spirit? Would you do that work of reconciliation with one another? Would you, would you do that work of unity of forgiveness and love and, and, and would the world see that and be attracted to you, Jesus, because they are not attracted to division. They are not attracted to gossip and slander. They are not attracted to competition, but they are attracted to our love for one another. And, and through that love, the world will know that we are your disciples. So help us live that out, Father, for your glory in Jesus' name.